Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open together to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. We come to the Word of God here this morning. If you are a mother, would you please stand this morning? If you are a mother, would you please stand? All right. Let's give all of these ladies a big round of applause. And on behalf of our church, we wish you a happy Mother's Day. And we have a special treat for you at the conclusion of the service today. From Porter's Bakery down in uh, the Old Village, we have gourmet blueberry crumble muffins for each of you. And you are welcome to take one on your way out. But happy Mother's Day on behalf of our church. You may be seated. You know, mothers, they put up with a lot of things, don't they? I was thinking this morning, I called my mom this morning, wished her happy Mother's Day, and of course, they live about five and a half, six hours from us, and, and I think, man, all the times, all the different emergency room visits my mother had to take me to, I can't tell you how many times I injured myself, uh, cut myself with, with something sharp, um, you know, broke, broken bones, all kinds of things, car accidents, crazy stuff, but, uh, you know, we're very thankful uh, for a mother's investment. But I also am thankful for the investment she made in my life as we consider uh, you know, teaching us the Bible uh, as children. Every, every day, uh, growing up, uh, before we walked to school, uh, she would sit us down in our kitchen. We had an ice cream table, and, and she would read the Bible to my sister and me uh, before we left for the day. And I'm very thankful for my wife. My wife does the exact same things uh, for, for our children and uh, just indispensable and priceless. Certainly a Proverbs 31 woman, I thank God for. But if you're blessed this morning with a godly mother, say amen. 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 There's nothing that can replace that. And our prayer is that God would help us honor them today and do so effectively. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. This may not be a, a Mother's Day message. I apologize if it's not. Uh, but in light of, of child dedication, it's really geared to the home this morning. The home is, is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, the home was God's first institution. Uh, we, can, we can trace its beginning back to creation. The Bible says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, uh, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We're told in, in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that God created man in his image and in his likeness. He created them male and female, and how God brought them together and, and made that, that first family. And from the dawn of time, the home has been under constant attack. And uh, the home is is deteriorating in our society. There are some who would diminish its value, that would diminish its importance and significance. There are some today, even within our own government, who would say that your children do not belong to you. And they are not shy of expressing this. But rather they belong to the state and that they can do a better job raising their children or your children than you can. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. But may I tell you this morning, there's, there needs to be a revival in our homes. We need God's grace. We need God's help. The Word of God is true. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. What we need as a, as a church, not just here 
uh, but across our nation is for revival in our homes, placing the, the, the significance, upon, uh, the emphasis upon the things that God uh, emphasizes. And I'm so encouraged. I hope that you're encouraged this morning. My heart is encouraged by these who've come this morning and dedicated themselves to raising their children for the glory of Christ. And I want to help them. Don't you? This is what we need. As we come to Hebrews chapter 11, there are many statements that we find concerning uh, faith. Isn't it? it, Raising a home is, is done by faith. You know, what we do is we just take God at His word. We must trust the Lord. There are many things that the world is trying to steal from us. The world wants you to doubt the promises of God. The world wants to to convince you that its way is better than God's way. But that's never the case. May I tell you, the world's way may be easier. It may be easier. But in the end, it will be a detriment to your home. It will be a detriment to your family. Doing the right things, living for God imparting to our children the things that God instructs us to. It may be difficult. The world will fight against you. Unfortunately, at times, even family may fight against you, but God is faithful. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11, let's stand together as we read this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. The Bible says down in verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Look down in verse number 23. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come, come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of, the, of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of, of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would help us. Father, we need you. Without you, Lord, we can do nothing. Our prayer today is for your strengthening help in our homes. Again, Lord, we rejoice in these, these little ones who've been given to you today. Lord, that the parents have given themselves to Christ for the purpose of raising their children for His glory, that they might have a relationship with Him and choose Him above all else, living their lives solely for Him. Lord, in these moments, we ask that You would encourage our hearts through the truth of Thy Word. 
Lord, that you would teach us and help us and exhort us today. Lord, that we would do what is necessary in our own lives. That we would learn from these we read of here in Scripture. That we would make the same or similar decisions that they've made. Lord, by faith. Father, we pray for your blessing on this message. May your Spirit do the work today. And Father, if there's someone here this morning who is lost, who has not received Christ as their Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are many powerful statements recorded all throughout this chapter. Not far from here, up in Canton, Ohio, there is a foot, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. One day, I'm going to take my family there and we can walk those, those hallways and see those, those images and likenesses of these special athletes. You know, I'm still, I grew up in the, the 80s and the 90s and Emmett Smith doesn't have anything on Barry Sanders. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. It's a different game. You know, there's Hall of Fames everywhere, isn't there? There are people are famous, they're synonymous for a great many things. But I don't necessarily want to be famous. I don't want to live my life for the praise and glory of man. I, I'm not living my life to be enshrined in some memorial hall and in a man-made structure somewhere here on this rock we call the earth. I want to live my life by faith. And like these people in, in Hebrews chapter number 11, have my life recorded by, by the Lord Almighty. You see, Hebrews chapter 11 is a hall of fame in and of itself. These men and women from creation till now have had their names recorded in the annals of God's word. May I tell you that the, the, the memorial that God has given them here is worth far more than any memorial man could ever offer. And it was all done by faith. That's the, the, the clarion call throughout this entire chapter of God's word is, is by faith or through faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a wonderful description for why we do what we do. You and I, we have hope. Our desire this morning is that God would help us raise our families for His glory. Uh, we, that we would continue doing what's right simply because we know God said He would do it. This is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a wonderful description. But just look to chapter 12 and verse number 2. Faith is most simply defined in three words. Look in verse number 2 of chapter 12 and mark those first three words. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. If we will, if our homes will be blessed, if our children by God's grace will be raised for His glory, we must do so ever looking unto Jesus. We must keep our eyes upon Him, not be distracted by the things of this world, but keep our focus fixed upon Christ. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles this morning, I'd like to draw your attention back to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11, and notice what the Bible speaks of in verse number 23. It may seem strange, it may seem a little bit odd, 
But I'd like to, for you to mark two words, his parents, his parents. We read the record of Moses' family. We read the record of his parents' determination, his, his parents' decision, his parents who, who would defy all odds and raise a little boy for the glory of God. To gain a little bit more insight into the context of this chapter, I want you to look with me, if you would, all the way back to Exodus. Exodus chapters 1 and 2, we find the story of Moses. May I tell you that his life is a life against all human odds. The world has not changed. The devil, he's a repeater. There's nothing new under the sun. He has the same strategy, yet it's, it's packaged differently. And may, just as we said in opening this, the message this morning, the devil is after our homes. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. And you and I, as, as parents, as Christian parents, must be ever vigilant. We must be beware. Notice the, what it had been taking place here in, in, in Exodus. Look in verse number 15 of chapter number 1. It says, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shifra, and the name of the other Pua, and said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. They were practicing infanticide. Even all the way back, and may I tell you that even in the United States, it has been applauded in the state of New York for post-birth abortion. What is this? This is nothing more than infanticide. And this decision will be on the ballot in Ohio this coming election cycle. Believe it or not, there's nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. The world is still after your children. Satan wants them. He wants to destroy them. And we'll see why here in just a moment. But the Bible says in verse number 17, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. We're thankful that some people have decency and morals. The Bible says, And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered, ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. The men, children, the, the male children can, shall live. I'm sorry, the male children shall die. The, 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 lady, the, the women, children shall, shall live. What a terrible thing. All life is sacred, isn't it? But as we turn the page to Exodus or chapter number 2, we find, we find a family who lived by faith. Remember the statement in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Moses' parents, his parents. And the Bible says in verse 1, And there went a man of the house of Levi and took 
uh, to wife a daughter of Levi. The man we find later on, his name is Amram, and his wife's name is Jochebed. It says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. According to the law of the land, what should have been done to this little boy that was born? He was to be taken and cast into the river, the Nile River, where he would have been drowned or eaten by crocodiles or other marine animals. And the Bible goes on to say, and when she saw uh, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Have you ever tried to hide a baby? It's pretty hard to do, isn't it? Babies are notorious for being loud. They cry at the most inopportune times. They're hungry at the most inopportune times. But it's nigh impossible to hide a baby, isn't it? But this is exactly what they endeavored to do. And the Bible says, in which she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And as we hold our place here in Exodus chapter 2, we'll come back perhaps here in just a few moments, but I want you to turn back with me this morning to Hebrews chapter number 11. You know, we, we love the life of Moses, a man who, who was God's friend, a man who knew God face to face, who, who saw God, who was used mightily of the Lord to, to lead the children of Israel out of the house of bondage through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. For 40 years, this man endured much hardness, didn't he? As the children of Israel murmured and griped and complained, God would have destroyed them and started over with Moses. Yet Moses prayed for the people. What a meek man Moses was. Now, meekness is not weakness. Weak, uh, meekness is strength under control. Moses was a strong, capable man. That's why God selected him. Moses believed himself to be unable or un unqualified. He, was, he wasn't very good at public speaking, but God gave him Aaron. But the Lord used Moses and and we read here back in, in Hebrews chapter 11 of all the things that Moses accomplished for God. Look, look again. He says, by faith, in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians sang to do were drowned. We, we love Moses' story, don't we? It's, it's powerful. It's action-packed. It's a story of victory. It's a story of God's deliverance. It's, a, it's the record of God's power and ability through the life of a man. Moses would stand here this morning and, and readily 
pass all the glory off to God because he knew that it was nothing that he could have done. But may I tell you this morning, I want God to use my children in a mighty way. Um, I want God to use my children for his glory. And I pray that that they'll, they'll grow to serve God with their lives. And whether that means they're preachers or missionaries or just faithful, godly men in their local church, that would suffice at me. I just want God to use them. You know what the world needs today is, is generations of young people who will live for God. How is this going to happen? So much of what our children do is dependent upon their parents. Now, there are exceptions to the rule, but overwhelmingly, what our children will do for Christ most oftentimes stems from what we as parents do. And as we look here in, in Hebrews chapter number 11, before we read of all the great and mighty things God wrought through the life of Moses, we read of his parents. This morning I'd like to ever briefly share with you three fundamental lessons we can learn from Moses' parents. I want you to write these things down. I believe they'll be a help to you this morning. The first lesson that we learn is that we must take advantage of the time. We must take advantage of the time. Time is short, isn't it? You can never get the time back. The Bible tells us in, in Ephesians chapter number 5, look there with me if you would please, Ephesians chapter number 5, in verse number 15 and 16. The Bible says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Hmm. How does a wise man live? Well, the Bible goes on in verse 16 saying, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. You and I, we must take advantage of the time we have with our children. Even in the book of Colossians in chapter number 4, we see similar statement made in verse number 5. He says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. I want to live my life wisely. I do not want to squander my life. I do not want to squander my influence. In, your, in the lives of your home, in the lives of your children, you, mom, you, dad, have more influence than you can ever possibly imagine. You cannot replace, you cannot diminish the role that you play in the lives of your children. Why do you think the world is out to destroy the home so badly? Because they know what can be done through a destroyed home. If you watch any, I, I don't know if they still do, I imagine they still do, but any television sitcom, I remember years ago as a child watching television, these little sitcoms would come on and, and quite often there'd be no father in the program. And if he was, he was a buffoon. It's pitiful. But parents, 
you must take advantage of the time. Time is short, isn't it? My two oldest boys are sitting in the front row. They're as tall as I am. It's pitiful. I remember when we moved here, Tyus was five. Simon was two. No, he was two years old. He wasn't two. They're not twins. You'll get it in a second. Time goes by fast, doesn't it? Before long, they're driving. Pray for me. Last Sunday evening after church, my son comes to me and says, Dad, can I drive your truck? Hold on. Can I drive your truck through the parking lot? And I allowed him to. Life is short, isn't it? My wife and I will be married 17 years on Saturday. Pray for her. But I met her when I was 18. It's incredible to think about, isn't it? Our children are in our home for such a short amount of time. But you and I can take advantage of that time and make the most of that time. You look at Amram and Jochebed. Look, look again in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. He says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents' His parents had him in their home for three months. They knew there would be a time when they could no longer hide, hide the child. That, and he would have to be, for lack of a better term, put out of the home. What did they do? They built an ark. Look back and Exodus chapter number 2. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 3, the Bible says, When she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. The ark, it's an interesting term used, isn't it? An ark. You know, they could, God could have used the term basket or boat or life preserver. But God selected the word ark. What is the significance of the ark? The ark is the picture of Jesus Christ. If you look back in the book of Genesis, chapter number 6, we read of Noah's construction of the ark and how Noah and his wife, his three sons and their, and their wives went into the ark and were saved from the wrath that came. They were not destroyed by the global flood as every other living being was. It was those eight people, two of every unclean animal and seven of every clean animal in the ark. And they were saved by the ark. It's interesting, Jesus says, I am the door. 
You know, the God closed the door. They were saved in the ark. You know what? Time flees. It's fleeting, isn't it? You and I, we must take advantage of the time and work to build the ark. Get your children in the ark. Bring your children to Christ. Can you think of, think of Amram and Jochebed? They're sitting there and stressed. They look at this little boy that, that God had given them, and the world wants to take him and destroy him, but, but they know better. In their heart and mind, God takes them back to ages ago. And they recall Noah. And I believe, they believe that if God could do it once, he could do it with their child. So they put him in the ark. Church, the only hope you have is Christ. The only hope your children will have is Christ. Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We must bring our children to the Lord. Because one day, just as Moses was, he came of age. And he made a decision. What did he do? He chose. Look back in, in Hebrews chapter number 11. He chose. He says in verse number 25, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why did he do that? Because I believe his parents took advantage of the time they had with him. It's the second lesson that we learned this morning here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. We also see that they saw what God could do with their child. Parents, see what God can do with your children. The Bible describes him as a proper child. He's a proper child. If you look back in, in Exodus chapter number 2, we find him described there again. In Exodus chapter 2, the Bible says, when she saw him, that he was a goodly child. Every child is precious. You know, I've never seen an ugly baby. All babies are beautiful, aren't they? All life is sacred. All life is precious. All life is a gift by God. And your child is a proper child. You know what God, when God looked at Moses, he said, I can do something with that child. When God looks at your children, you know what he says? I can do something with that child. God wants to do something with your child. God can take your child and do more with their life than you ever could possibly imagine. 
there's a great word that we use. It's a word called potential. Can you imagine? There are several children down this morning being taught the Bible. Imagine what God can do through their lives. Would it be a bad thing for our children to be missionaries? Would it be a bad thing for our children to be preachers and, or Christian workers? No, it wouldn't be bad at all, would it? We must come to the point in our lives where we would rather God have his way in the lives of our children than we have our way in the lives of our children. I love sports. I loved playing all sports growing up. But I re my dad realized something, that I was never going to be Michael Jordan. It's a flashback to the 80s and 90s. We don't talk about the other guy. I was never going to be Barry Sanders, although I could have been. You know what I could be? I could be a good Christian man. Parents, we must do what we can to help our children live a life that matters the most. May I ask you a question? What matters most in life? What matters most in life? What matters most in life is what matters most in death. Wouldn't we agree? What matters most in life is what matters most in death. I want my children to love the Lord. I want my children to know the Lord as Savior and to live their lives for Him because that is what matters most. See what God sees. You know, the world sees the potential in our children. That's why they're trying to rob them from us. Trying to reshape their, uh, their, their loves, their commitments, refashion their thinking. The devil knows what he has if he gets your child. See what God can do? Well, this is the last lesson that we learn. Back in Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 23, is that we must be more concerned about the things of God than the things of this world. Look what the Bible says in verse 23. It says, because they saw he was a proper child, and notice, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. At the end of the day, the only one who matters is God. It's all that matters. You and I will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will give account of our lives to the one and only King of Kings, 
and Lord of Lords. The Bible describes him as the blessed and only potentate. Let us not allow the world to fashion how we live. Let us not allow the world to determine how we raise our children. But let us be more concerned with the things of God. Every good thing in my life is not traceable to the workplace. It's not traceable to an athletic field. It's not traceable to a classroom even. Do you know where every good thing in my life has come from? The Lord and the local church. The Lord and the local church. You know where I met my wife? The local church. You know where God called me to preach? The local church. You know the greatest influences in my life, you know where they were at? (laughs) You guessed it. The local church. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. You and I then should be more concerned. Let's, you know what, the world has their agenda, the world has their philosophy. Remember, we're we're warned in Colossians chapter number 3, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter number 2 and verse number 8. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Do you know what? Allow the Lord to guide your ship. Allow the Lord to steer your life. Allow the Lord to direct your children. But if the Lord will direct your children, you and I as parents, we must no longer fear the king's commandment doesn't matter what the world says. You know what? Your children won't miss out on anything if you raise them for the Lord. You know, just my life has been blessed beyond words. The Lord has given me more opportunity than I'd ever imagined. He's allowed me to go places and, and speak to people I'd never thought possible. Never missed a thing. Because God comes first. His parents. How would God's word read had his parents not done these things? differently, wouldn't it? See, we don't know what lies in store for our children. God knows. And by faith, we do these things. By faith, we raise them for the glory of God. By faith, we give them to the Lord and trust in the promises of His Word. Church, let us hold fast to the promises of God's word. Let us take advantage of the time God has given us 
seeing what he can do with our children. And let us be more concerned about the things of God than with the things of this world. Because at the end of the day, there's really one thing that matters the most. And that's that our children know Christ and live for him. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand together this morning.